0: Kia ora everyone, I'm Dal Cara and you are listening to Untamed Aotearoa, a podcast that celebrates the outdoor community and wilderness areas of New Zealand. In this show I introduce you to a diverse range of inspiring New Zealanders who love the outdoors. We'll be covering themes linked to adventure, wellbeing, conservation and the professional outdoor scene in New Zealand. Just live your dreams, be wild and Ain't no need to explain them to me. You can run to the mountains or run to the sea. Just live your dreams, be wild and free. I'm excited to announce that the Federated Mountain Clubs of New Zealand have come on board to sponsor this podcast for the next 15 episodes. In 1931, Visionary members from a few tramping clubs came together to create FMC. The goal was to celebrate a common value, the freedom of the hills. Initially, FMC was set up to fight the privatisation of what is now the Aoraki Mount Cook National Park. But these days, their goal is to advocate for the freedom of the hills and an outdoor life worth living. Initially, it was more about tramping and mountaineering. But in recent years, they've started to represent a much more diverse group of us. From cavers, paragliders, and hang gliders, to pack crafters and amateur adventure racers, FMC is the voice of New Zealand's outdoor people. When required, FMC also advocates for freedom of access to New Zealand's incredible mountains and the protection of our wildlands for everyone to enjoy. In each episode, I will be sharing something about the FMC that links in with the interview. I thought an episode with Maddie Whittaker would be fitting to start with. She's a 20-year-old who is currently on a three-month traverse of the Southern Alps, a journey that's been supported by an FMC Youth Expedition Grant. FMC have been offering expedition scholarships on behalf of the FMC Mountain and Forest Trust for the past 10 years. The FMC Youth Scholarship and the Simon Bow Memorial Scholarships are cash grants of up to $1,000 to help subsidise longer expeditions into the hills. There are a few different criteria. Trips need to be at least five nights long, and expeditions that venture into our wilderness areas are encouraged. Longer expeditions help young people hone their skills and develop grit and perseverance, traits that will stay with them their whole lives. The trips don't need to be hardcore, they support a range of expeditions for people with different levels of experience. The Youth Scholarship is open for people under 30 years old. Find out more by visiting fmc.org.nz I first heard about Maddy from her Outward Bound instructor, TUI. It turns out that Maddie had never gone tramping before she headed off on an outward-bound course as an 18-year-old. It totally changed the course of her life and she has been immersed in the New Zealand outdoor scene ever since. She joined the Otago University Tramping Club and has spent nearly every spare moment in the outdoors during the past three years. At 20 years old, she has just graduated from university and is currently out on a three-month traverse of the Southern Alps from Arthur's Pass to Milford Sound. Maddie and a few of her mates have become known as the New Zealand Alpine Kids. Too young to join the New Zealand Alpine team, but absolutely crushing it in the Alpine zone in Aotearoa. I think it will be pretty exciting to see how their adventures evolve in the next couple of years. I'll leave the intro at that. You can hear more from Maddie. Her enthusiasm is pretty infectious. Something that I think is pretty cool with you Maddie, is how I first heard about you from Tui, your Outward Bound instructor. Ah, yes, yep. (laughs) Yeah, Outward
1: Bound was kind of like the start of everything, really. So, I had never actually tramped before I went on Outward Bound at the start of 2018. And yeah, I just went there and just absolutely fell in love with it. I don't think it was like just the, the tramping and the outdoors stuff that I fell in love with, I think it was kind of the people that you sort of encounter in those environments, the kind of relationships that you form in those environments and also I think the way that I could see myself growing when I was in the outdoors was something that I found really attractive and so I just sort of
0: dived, dived
1: right in and have gone out pretty much every weekend and every summer since.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how just that one experience can totally change the whole course of your life, eh?
1: Absolutely, I would be a very different person if I hadn't gone on that course. Not just in what I do with my time, but you, yeah, you just learn a lot and grow a lot as a person um, because of courses like that. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like even nowadays, when I am in um, like I don't know a situation that's that's tough or stressful or something like that, I I definitely recognise myself like coming back to some of the the things that I learnt there or sort of phrases that I I remember from Tui or my other instructor, Greg, who was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's really cool. I hope that lots of young Kiwis get to go on courses like that and there is a lot of like scholarships and things in place to help that happen because I think it really is something that has a long-term impact on people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And was it for you? Because you went to school in Wellington, didn't you?
1: I went to school in Auckland. Oh, actually. in Auckland, true. Yeah. Even bigger. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of grew up, um, I, was like, I was homeschooled for primary school and then uh, in a mixture of um, in Whangaparoa, um, a little bit north of Auckland that's kind of absorbed by Auckland now, and um, in, at Tarawera in the centre of the North Island. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then I did did high school, high school in Auckland mostly, and then came down to Dunedin for my last year of high school. And yeah, went out about the end of that year and sort of got involved with the tramping club at uni after that and it's sort of taken off since then.
0: Yeah, so for you growing up with your family, what kinds of things did you do on your holidays? Did you do any camping or outdoor activities?
1: No, not, not really. Um, so I'm the youngest of five, so there was always like a clan of us and I guess it, like we're always running around and like swimming in the sea or swimming in the lake at Tarrawera. We were in the outdoors, but it wasn't sort of facilitated activities that like sort of camping or tramping or anything like that. um my parents my parents were into sailing when they were younger, um but me being the youngest the we didn't i don't I haven't really done much outdoor stuff with either of them because they're kind of in a different stage of life now. so yeah, we do didn't really do much of that <laughs> um that kind of stuff together, yeah.
0: Yeah, interesting, hey, it's like the opposite of my upbringing, yet the things that both of us do now are so comparable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely, it's, yeah, it is interesting seeing what what people fall in love with when it's
1: not a, like, nurture thing.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) And for you, I guess after that, you came to university in Dunedin shortly after Outward Bound, is that right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, lucky enough to fall into the amazing New Zealand outdoor club scene.
1: Yeah, oh, I think OUTC is really something quite special. Um, it's been the start of a lot of people's outdoor journeys, people who are into climbing, transalpine, rafting, it's all sorts. I think, I think it's, just, it's a really unique community um, like that people end up living together for most of their time at uni. But I think it's also just like an attitude of like not being afraid to go out there and try stuff, and I think that's kind of something that you end up.
0: Carrying with you far beyond uni, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, a lot of people will never have heard of the OUTC. It's surprising to think of, but I know. If you are to describe, or what, could you just describe to people what the New Zealand University Outdoor Club scene is like? So it varies uni to
1: uni. Um, the South Island obviously has sort of easier access to the mountains. My experience at OUTC is like a, It's a group. Of, we're probably the biggest uni club in New Zealand of about a thousand members. Um, a lot of those will be internationals. And during the week at uni there's like gear you can hire, you can go rock climbing together, often flat together, and then there's various tramps that you can go on on the weekends or instruction courses, like that's how I um, first got into using ice axes and crampons. And there's also just like a lot of people um, involved in the club who have more experience than you who are around who you can sort of talk to about the plans that you have or go on trips with and so it's kind of like a cool environment for the passing down of knowledge and skills as well
0: yeah yeah and in terms of for your university time so far what kind of trips spring to mind as real highlights from the university club?
1: Oh um, so usually so they have club trips which are run where like a hundred people will go to like say Fiordland and then there'll be like 10 different trips going out um, that'll be of different difficulty. So they've got like the official club run trips and then they've got trips I guess that have gone on with people in the club. Um, I think we did a trip uh, with a whole bunch of club people. It wasn't a club run trip but um, we went up the Tasman glacier up to Taz Saddle and spent a week up there Um, and that was really special, Um, snowshoeing, (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's quite a long way to snowshoe, but it was great, or um, I did a trip at um, New Year's in 2018, or the end of 2018, where we we went and climbed Mount Ada in Fiordland, which was like one of those kind of trips where you've got like eight hours of bush bashing to go like one kilometre, because it's just so (laughs) steep, and we had to cross Milford Sound, and we like just tied Aquanauts, the like warehouse, like inflatable boats for six-year-olds tied them together with string and towed them behind a pack raft with like seven people's stuff and is yeah it was just like a cool sense of exploring and not being held back
0: by um by lack of gear and <laughs>
1: lack of experience yeah
0: <laughs> It's almost this cocktail of I mean, it's great because everyone's kind of young and excited, no matter what crazy idea you have, there are always ten people that will enthusiastically agree to join you.
1: yeah, definitely, yeah, I think that that like I guess something that I've been discovering recently is like, oh wow, that it's so much faster moving with two people than like six because I've always done trips <laughs> that are like quite big, but that's quite special. I think I think there's a really strong like um spirit of. Uh, like inclusivity in these clubs and it's kind of it's a really cool place to sort of start out from
0: yeah and the kinds of people that you have joining the club for a lot of them is it their very first interaction with the outdoors in New Zealand or have they come from that background
1: we get such a variety of people so like when we have our club run trips and we've got like say the 10 different ones going to Fiordland there'll be things right for people who have never tramped before we get a lot of internationals who might have done the equivalent of like one great walk or something like that. Um, so we definitely have lots of sort of options for people that are just getting into it or just getting into it in New Zealand. And then it will go right up to, um, we'll have things for people who are like climbing Mount Cook. So there's like a real a real variety and ability and um, uh, competencies and different skills and Yeah. Yeah, it
0: seems to me that lots of people move from university tramping clubs into doing those, you know, adding an ice axe and crampons and then doing more technical trans-alpine type trips and then before you know it they're doing some crazy stuff in the mountains. (laughs) Yeah, I think what's quite cool with OTC
1: is they have the snowcraft every year, which I went on in 2018, learned how to use ice axes and crampons and there's usually quite a few people who have been around for a long time that have lots of skills. Um, in climbing who are then can sort of be like mentors almost to people who are starting to get into it Um, and that's that's quite cool during those like especially your first year kind of getting into climbing to have to be able to go on trips with people that know more and sort of sets you up well for the, eventually you, you sort of branch out into the wider climbing community but it's a cool starting point.
0: Yeah man we're so lucky in New Zealand hey it's a lot of, the, I guess, you get that feedback from and other international students, but this club system that we have totally it doesn't exist in the states or other places at all, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, it is. It is really something quite special. Like I look back on my, because I've just finished my degree, and like I look back on my uni years, and I'm like. Was I? You need to study. Or was I? You need for this tramping <laughs> club. Like I'm not really sure. The line's pretty blurred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the people that I'm pretty much my entire social group now are people that I met through the tramping club. Um, what I want to do jobs wise, a lot of that happened because I was involved with the tramping club. It's like what I studied that was changed by my involvement with the tramping club. It's like everything, it's, it's
0: kind of, it's been affected by it. It's really cool. That's super exciting, yeah. Yeah. A random question linked to the club then. Yeah. Do you know if there have been many marriages that have come out of the tramping club?
1: Ah, oh, yeah, there definitely have. One of my closest friends, actually, um, she she's she's an OUTC baby as we call it so her parents met in in OUTC oh. and married and yeah um and there's a lot of couples that come out of it I guess I, a lot of the people that I know haven't got to like marriage stage yet but I know lots of people have been together for like five ten years with people that they met in the club
0: so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's super refre- refreshing to have a social community that is all about face-to-face interaction there's very little yeah. online kind of communication definitely yeah. yeah yeah it's really cool yeah and how so since you went down to by the way are you you're 19 now right uh, I just turned 20 a couple of weeks ago and you yeah. just finished university yeah uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I left school at the end of year 12 um which is where the
0: where the the year disappeared from yeah so you've just finished fully finished a three-year degree yeah yep wow you've squeezed a huge amount into the last three years Maddie (laughs) (laughs) yep I definitely have it's been
1: it's been quite like full-on on on times I think you can get kind of like swept up in this rhythm of like lots happening and it's awesome and um, yes it's really good I've also this in this last semester been learning that you also have seasons of life where you have to slow things down a little bit (laughs) totally um, yeah i'm kind of glad to have had that tacked onto the end
0: so that i've sort of learned both sides of the both sides of the story (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) and so for, for you in terms of your own personal adventuring yeah how has it evolved in the last couple of
1: years so I guess in my in 2018 in my first year at uni when I was first getting into tramping, um, it was definitely like I my getting into tramping was that that happened not long before I actually used ice axes and crampons. Um, I I did outward bound and then did a couple of like sort of great walky things in my first semester, but nothing. Two out there, and then I did Snowcraft, and pretty much that's when it took off, and I started going out every single weekend. It was like Mount French, up um, uh, French Ridge, and Spiring region Mm -hmm. was like my sort of my first track. It's it's, yeah, that was pretty life changing. I think you have like moments in the hills that are like, I mean, there's lots of good moments, but there's some that are like turning point moments. I think, Um, and that was definitely one for me. The first time that I wore crampons outside of Snowcraft in the hills. And I remember being on Mount French for sunrise, and I was just like, oh my goodness, like, I didn't know it was sort of possible to feel this way, like, feel so much joy and just awe for what's around me. Um, and I think that that's something that I'll, I'll sort of carry with me forever is that that's, this is why I do it for moments like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that that year, I did sort of lots of weekend trips like that, and then, I walked at the end of the year. I walked the length of the South Island. Um, that was a mix of maybe like two thirds of it was the South Island Te Araroa Trail, and um, the other sort of third of it was I sort of adapted the route a bit because I had some other areas of New Zealand that I want to explore a bit more, or some slightly more off track tracks that more well, off track areas that I wanted to sort of include. So I did that. A lot of that wasn't. It's not technical. In any way but I think having like 77 days out there was like a really good foundation to sort of build just have confidence navigating and yeah just sort of having that rhythm as a regular thing um, of just like getting up and walking and figuring out all the sort of systems that work for you and then the next year I started doing more sort of like grade twos like Mount Cook grade two sort of scrambles and climbs and getting more confident with snow stuff and got more into rock climbing, learned how to tread climb, um, and then started really getting this like climbing bug. I was starting to get quite excited about that, and also halfway through the year, I started getting really excited about um, combining what I was loving doing with kind of going fast, fast and light. So I kind of liked this idea of like, oh, if I go fast and light, it kind of feels like you're a kid exploring. Because you can be like, oh, I want to go over there, so I'm just, I'm just gonna
0: run over there, you know. Um, so since that's interesting, hey. Because New Zealand, I feel like New Zealanders traditionally have been a bit judgmental of that. We're all about this heavy canvas and moving slow, but now the culture is starting to change around that.
1: Definitely, there's like this, you know. Oh, I'm gonna be stoically carry my eighty liter pack <laughs> of um, <laughs> of super heavy stuff. Um, but this was like quite exciting I think as well because there wasn't, like a lot of this stuff, it was like, there's no, you know, not heaps of people that have, I don't know, gone to the Olivines light and fast or stuff like that. It was quite exciting I think to be like, okay, if it takes most people this many days, how many days can we do it in? Um, and that was quite cool. And so I think over this most recent summer that's just been and throughout this year, I was doing a lot more of that. Um, like fast packing in the, in the olivines and stuff like that doing trips that were taking people so sort of 10 days we were doing in about three and also this year I've been really lucky to have met some amazing people who have sort of taken me under their wing with mentoring me and more technical climbing so I've learnt how to ice climb and leading ice and mixed climbing and Got to be part of some really special adventures that are sort of more along those tangents, which yeah. is also really exciting. Um, I
0: hear, I hear that you found a new route to Colin Todd Hat. <laughs> yeah,
1: we, we did indeed. That was oh that was another of those like turning point moments. I think for me, it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, like we did like a twenty five hour day camp to camp, <laughs> so it was it was quite a big mission. Um, but it was just awesome. Um, I think that like, I I didn't lead. Um, any of the pitches on that it was um, I was seconding and Jazz and Ruri were leading all of them very sort of patiently mentoring me with Mm -hmm. ice
0: climbing technique because it was something that I was quite new to Um, so I guess I mean some people have no idea what this place is like so do you just want to describe to me describe to me the journey of actually getting to the route and then what the route and that experience on the route was like so we walked up the Matuki Valley, um,
1: which is like below Mount Aspiring. A lot, a lot of people who have tramped might have gone to Aspiring Hut or um, French Ridge Liverpool Hut there in that region. So we walked up the valley to near the head of it. That's um, about like a maybe a four or five hour walk kind of thing. And then we camped in the bush on the valley floor, um, sort of right at the bush line. And then the next morning we got up early and it's sort of like a whole bunch of um, sort of snow slopes that you have to go up um, to sort of get to the start of the, the technical climbing. There's some seracs, which are like these big ice at the edge of a glacier where it's sort of falling down the cliffs. There's some seracs above you that you kind of have to run under, which is a little bit exciting. And then you get to the start of this climb after maybe like four hours from camp, and it's just like straight up. Well, to someone that hasn't done a lot of ice climbing, it feels like it's just straight up. Um, and yeah, it's just sort of ice, ice all the way up for 450 meters. And sometimes it's really nice ice. that's like you, you can put your ice axes and crampons like wherever you want. And sometimes it's sort of textured in a way that makes it a bit more difficult and you sort of have to think about your body positions a bit more, but yeah, just like we summited at like midnight. So from like about 10 AM or till midnight, we're just climbing this ice and it was awesome and yeah yeah ice climbing and mixed climbing really and trad climbing as well all of them appeal to me quite a lot because it tends to be
0: like a a bit of a like problem solving element in it i think um totally um, and you don't you don't quite know the conditions till you're there you can't exactly plan it all in advance you have to do it on site right
1: yeah and sort of finding where you can place your gear to um, keep yourself safe making anchors or as you're climbing, um, putting in bits of gear that your rope will connect to, um, that's like sort of an unknown and you're like, ooh, that looks like a crack that I might be able to put a, put a piece of gear into and it's like, ooh, what, you know, what one's going to fit and if I put all these bits in here, will I have enough to make my anchor further up and it's, yeah, I really find that quite exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an
0: incredible experience, eh? Hey? And you guys were nominated, or I don't. Actually, did you actually win the award for that?
1: Um, so we were, yeah, we were nominated for sort of one of one of the ascents. They, they list a whole lot of ascents for the MacPack Alpinist of the Year award, and um, yeah, we made that list, which is really exciting. Um, uh, Alpinist of the Year went to Ruri, who was on our climb. He also pioneered a uh, whole lot of other new routes it was kind of like there was this list of significant ascents and it was like oh Ruri's on most of them <laughs> so it was really really cool to see um to see him get that award for some amazing
0: climbing yeah, yeah it's classic eh? he's had only been back in the country for a few months really and he's yeah already out at it. <laughs> definitely yeah I've been really lucky to have learned a lot off um of him and Jazz, they have a lot of knowledge to share. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, Rory just started um, the Alpine Club team. Or sorry, the Alpine S- Search and Rescue Team in Mount Cook and oh, Aoraki. Awesome. Which is great for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I guess one other interesting thing about that route, or that came to my mind, was the fact that you got to name it. I think.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we ended up calling it Antics, um, which is. Uh, the na- actually the name of the Otago Uni Tramping Club's annual publication yeah. um, and one of the reasons we did that is um, the Matukituki Valley is like a,
0: <laughs>
1: a, a sort of an area that OUTC goes to every year or multiple times a year. Um, Jazz used to be in the tramping club um, as well he was part of it for about nine years while doing his PhD so he was like yeah I've been up the toki something like it was like 18 times or something ridiculous like that, so it was sort of I guess playing in, uh, taking into account like the sort of special connection that OUTC has to that and how if it wasn't for the club, I wouldn't be climbing with jazz, and jazz might not necessarily
0: be climbing and yeah, it was, yeah it was sort of yeah along That's that special. Yeah. yeah, I think finding antics magazines and random huts <laughs> in the middle of nowhere is always a <laughs> highlight for me. <laughs> yeah yeah, it's
1: cool seeing what everybody's been up to.
0: It's crazy, you know, these university magazines are full of so many epic adventures and just great humour and poems and tales, like way better than any commercial magazine or book. (laughs) Yeah, it's great.
1: And so it was quite cool after after that climb then being like really psyched on um, technical climbing and um, getting to go to the... Um, I helped out instructing a snowcraft course at the Remarks Mixed and Ice Fest but also got to have some climbing time before the instruction courses started Mm -hmm. where I could um, develop some of my skills in that area and sort of mentored by um, some of of the really good climbers there and so that was quite cool to sort of have that to follow up directly and now I'm like oh I'm really excited for the summer but I'm also like oh I'm so excited for the next winter to come around
0: so I can do more (laughs) yeah it's interesting you know your progression has happened really really quickly from having not much outdoor background how have you found it with like your feelings around risk and decision making around different dangers is that something you're really aware of with the quick progression definitely so
1: I think I think something that like a lot of people won't realize like because I have progressed really fast but also I am averaging about 200 to 250 days a year in the back country <laughs> yeah. um so like what might take someone 10 years um they've they might have spent the same sort of amount of days by the time you you know yeah when you compare the yeah, number uh, of days I've spent so it seems really quick but the, there is still like a lot of foundation going down but there's definitely always like yeah it's really important to um I've been made especially aware of that um, this year losing a couple of friends in the hills in a climbing accident and I and um, uh, had a friend that had a accident crossing a river and it was like wow you know it's, it's not it's not a game that you're playing when you're out there, there's um, each risk that you're taking isn't just a risk that you're taking yourself but it's like all the people that you love are also taking that risk with you um, and so I'm definitely aware aware of that um and you know I I have to trust that all the people that I love who are out doing all these amazing things will make good decisions um because I don't want to lose them and so I am I have to make good decisions as well um yeah because you know they're
0: trusting me to do that as well um yeah I've often found it's a good it can be a good way to make decisions sometimes hey when you're in a in a scary situation, is, is thinking of people that love you and yep. what they would be thinking if they were watching you or knowing what decisions you were making? Definitely, yeah. This
1: this Christmas, um, last Christmas actually, I climbed Sefton with a friend on Christmas Eve, and um, so we we'd got up early, done that, and then we were coming to walk out on the the west coast side, and we got to this glacier at about nine a.m. So we're like, oh, you know, hope that's still relatively early. It should be all right. And we got up there, and it was already, like, wet sliding because the sun had come on it. And we were like, oh, like, people, you know, if, if we if we don't cross this now, then we're going to miss Christmas. And people will, like, clearly notice. But then we're like, oh, no, it'd, it'd be much worse if we had an accident on Christmas. And so we, you know, we just waited for the, the sun to go off it and things to firm up, and we were like, out late. But... That was one of those moments where you're kind of like, oh, no. The most important thing is to come back in one piece. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: It seems like you've been you've been doing lots of walking in the Southern Alps. You're one of them in the minority there, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've I've actually never used a helicopter for
1: um, approaching any climbs or anything like that. I've only been in a helicopter for like doc work, um, and. Yeah, it's it's something I find really quite special and quite an appealing part of the challenge. Like this year, I walked into Pioneer from Fo- the Fox Township on foot twice, um, which is certainly a bit of a mission um, uh, these days with the road all washed out and the glacier receding. And um, yeah, I, it definitely can be done. Or like walking up the Tasman. And yeah, I think it, I find that, well, I haven't flown into a, a trip, so I can't really say for sure. But I feel like for me, um, the walking in is kind of a big part of the like anticipation. And then walking out is bit, sort of, I process a lot of the trip during that time. So
0: I feel like if I flew in, that would kind of be a little bit skewed. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree. I flew into the Alps for the first time in New Zealand this year. And Yeah exactly like what you said it you kind of almost feel like you've cheated like you're suddenly there it's like a dream but you haven't earned it and then when yeah. you leave it's like you're suddenly out but yeah. you don't get that whole tra- natural transition from the diff- from the different landscapes And yeah
1: i am lucky yeah. that i have
0: the luxury of as a
1: student the luxury time. of time to be able to go into these places i can understand that's not it's not something that a lot of people have but I do, I do i kind of like to think of it as like if you fly in um, and then climb, climb a peak. It's like it's almost like you're climbing a route on the peak. But if you walk in, it's like you're climbing the mountain.
0: Definitely, I don't know, kind of like to think of it like that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you have you know when you went into Pioneer twice? Did you have quite different access conditions each of those times? Definitely. So
1: when we first went in in um, uh, Waitangi weekend um, this year, it was like. Since the river had like shifted right up against this bluff, um, quite near to the Fox Township, no one had really been, or um, well, not a lot of people had been up there since. So you had to like bush bash. It was kind of unknown. We had to bush bash around this bluff, and it took ages, and it took us like six hours or something to get to the base of the glacier. And you're like, <laughs> whoa, you know, this is where the road used to go to. Um, and then once you're on the glacier, it actually was was quite straightforward well not straightforward but seemed comparatively straightforward to getting to the start of it um and then when we walked in later on it's like uh, some of the fox guides had been through and set up a couple of fixed ropes in the bush which made that a lot easier and the river was lower when we came through so we could like walk on the river flats a lot more as opposed to like boulder bashing along the side um one of them was with skis, one of them wasn't. So that also sort of changed. That you're walking up the moraine, and you've got such heavy packs that, like, if if a boulder that you're on kind of shifts, you just like you're gone. You know, your pack is just too heavy to kind of balance that out. So different challenges each time. But um, yeah, it's I definitely found the second time easier with the luxury of knowing where to go um, through the glacier and on the Chancellor Shelf. It's it's quite a sort of humbling landscape to move through because it's just so dynamic you very feel very small and it's quite yeah. nice. <laughs> do you
0: find it do you feel more connected to the Alps knowing that these are routes that people have taken for a long long time and lots of people have come before you? Definitely. It, yeah, I I definitely feel that way and that's been one of
1: the really exciting things actually about doing trips like this or trips in more remote places or even um, some of this planning we're doing for this summer it's like I've been talking to a lot of people um, rather than just using the guidebooks I've been looking at those but then some of the places that don't that aren't described as well in the guidebook it's like calling up the people who have written the guidebooks or who have been climbing for a long time and talking to people and hearing their stories and connecting with all of these like legends of transalpine and mountaineering and that's been a really special part part of things as well. It kind of brings it to life and Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Hut books on the your Alps traverse will be amazing for that. Definitely. I think it's one of my favourite parts of those remote trips. Yes, yep. Yeah. It was it was quite cool actually.
1: Um I just did some work for the Care Conservation Trust in the Murchison Mountains and um there was like a hut book in there that like went back to the seventies and that was really cool because I don't often find ones that go back quite that far. And it's it's awesome seeing
0: like the stories of people going right through. Yeah, i yeah. we'll find some more like that. <laughs> I guess that's another tangent we could go down. I know you've spent a bunch of time doing some conservation work with DOC in the last few months. Yeah. How did, how did that first come
1: about for you? Um, so I first got involved with that last summer through um, I was a Sir Peter Blake Doc Ambassador, um, which is essentially like, you just apply for to be a part of this program um, for 18 to 25-year-olds, and they select two Doc Ambassadors, and you get to go on a sort of different experience, so the other Doc Ambassadors work with the Tākehē team, and I got to spend um, some time out on Anchor Island in Dusky Sound working on the Kākāpō team, and it was just like, it was absolutely incredible probably like a couple of the best weeks of my life um I think I had always kind of thought before that that work was something that you kind of did to fill in the Monday to Friday between (laughs) the weekends where you're kind of living I guess maybe that's how I felt about uni (laughs) um but then I went there and it was like I was just fully absorbed by the work and for for once I was like in the in the bush because you know the highest point on this island is like 400 meters but I was in the bush and working with these birds and I wasn't Thinking about climbing, like I wasn't thinking. Oh, I wish I was, you know, somewhere else that was higher. And because c- like often, at, you know, at uni, I'm just thinking about climbing the whole time. But I was just like fully present, and that was really something special. So um, since then, I've uh, in the last year, I've spent over. Oh, I've spent almost two months in Dusky Sound on um, Anchor Island and Resolution Island doing um, bird work, but also a bunch of trapping work. Um, and I've also spent some time on the care conservation team and, the, um, and volunteering with the rock green team. Um, yeah, I feel really lucky that I've found something that's just so, so exciting to me. Like, I can't believe that you get paid to do this kind of work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing, you know, where I go with that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: because um, did you, your university study, was, wasn't it more science? What
1: was that exactly? So I started out, I came to uni and I studied physics, um, but I changed that uh, halfway through my second year of uni, I changed to an ecology major, which is what I'll be graduating with, an ecology oh, major awesome. and a physics minor. Um, I think that sort of change reflected not only a change in myself as I got into more outdoorsy stuff, I became more interested in studying something to do with that, but also I had spent a lot of time with tramping with people who were studying ecology and they had this really cool like sense of how they fitted into the bigger sort of picture of what was around them and that was kind of something they had this awesome sense of wonder as well um and so that was something that I kind of wanted to to learn more about and share in and so
0: that was kind of why I started and I just absolutely love it it's fantastic (laughs) man isn't life awesome how you can it's just impossible to plan. You have no idea what's coming up. All these op- opportunities and, you know, you meet one person and suddenly the course of your life changes. You go to, on one doc trip and then your thoughts yeah. about career change or... Totally, Yeah.
1: Yep. And so next year, um, I'm going to be doing a master's actually working, um something that's supervised by the uni and by doc, working with Kia. Um, oh, what are you Alpine. doing exactly? Um, So probably going to be looking at something to do with um it's not like fully confirmed yet but to do probably with like how Kia move around in the Alps so yeah um yeah it sounds like the
0: ultimate excuse to spend more time in beautiful places hey
1: (laughs) yeah I was definitely like I'm going to design a project that has a high field work component
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) in terms of the South Island I mean you must feel quite connected to the South Island now Definitely. I don't really feel, even though I lived in the North Island
1: until I was sixteen, I don't really feel like that's home at all anymore. I think because also all of my family have shifted down where there's mountains. Um, it definitely feels like home. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Do you yeah. have a particular like national park or area that's your go-to or your favourite?
1: Um, I, I, Fiordland is really quite like close to my heart. I think, especially having done this dock work. Um, Yeah, being out in Dusky Sound is is a particularly special place to me. Um, Yeah, I think that
0: that sort of area is... It's sweet, hey? It's just so unknown, so many parts of it. You can still go on adventures there that, you know, you don't even know if they're possible, you don't know how long they'll take.
1: Yeah, Um, definitely, yeah. It's sort of... Nothing feels quite as, like, wild and remote and untouched as some of those places. Um,
0: Have you come across Stanley Mulvaney's blog? Blog? yes oh it's
1: amazing I came across it while I was um uh doing this preparation for the Southern
0: Alps traverse and there's some amazing stories in there yeah Yeah, he's pretty classic I interviewed him for a pack crafting podcast and I tried to get him to explain fiordland and he was so understated about absolutely everything and (laughs) you know would just rattle off these insane routes that yeah were virtually impossible to everyone just like it was another weekend trip for him yeah Yeah,
1: definitely yeah Fjordland's got like a lifetime of exploring in itself um but yeah there's just a lot of places there you you know spend a a day getting away from the road into some sort of remote area and it's just like instant
0: transcendence it's really Mm -hmm. special yeah that's cool and for you at the moment you said that you're just preparing for the Southern Alps Traverse Yes. Tell me what what the vision has been for that and how long you've been working towards it.
1: So I think since
0: I I did that um, tramp of the South Island
1: uh, in the summer of 2018 and 2019, um, I I was quite new to sort of all of that stuff then so I didn't have the skills to even really envision a trip like this. sort of think of it as being possible but while I was walking you know I started reading about these people that were doing this and I was sort of walking through the through the valleys and the easiest passes and being like oh wow you know those mountains over there wouldn't it be cool to like go out for this kind of period of time but be up there Um, and so it was something I kind of started thinking about quite a while ago and then have been building up the skills for the last um, I guess two years since then um, to be able to make this happen and then this year it's it's been like a lot of a lot of time you know lockdown was lots of dehydrating and looking at maps and um, I'm really lucky I've got an amazing team of three others that I'm going with who are pretty much like my three closest friends so it's going to be really special to share that.
0: How, how are they and how did you connect with them?
1: Um, so Toria, Scott, Fife, Tom Hadley and Connor Varson, um, So Toria, uh, all of them I met through the Tramping Club. Oh, um, uh, actually, I met Tom. I met Tom at a science thing at school. Um, actually, um, but we didn't really become friends until we came down to uni um, into tramping stuff. Um, Connor's my flatmate, and Toria and Tom are another two really good friends of mine. And yeah, we it would just all kind of wanted to do a similar thing, so we're like, oh, we'll just make it happen. I've known them for a couple of years now, just climbing and doing other sort of summer trips and weekend trips with them. And so we're going to go from Arthur's Pass, which we'll leave from there next week, actually. Oh, that's so (laughs) exciting. (laughs) And just follow... We've got sort of a series of objectives that we've sort of linked up, trying to stay... As much as we can close to the spine of the Southern Alps, but also take a few sort of unique routes um, that differ from because um, like there are it's it's not like people haven't done traverses before. There's usually a couple of parties going Arthur's past to Mount Cook each year, and um, sometimes another party going further as well. So we've yeah we've we're going right down to the Milford Track um, is where we'll end. And on the divide or west of the divide, mostly. Um, if we're not if we're not on the divide, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we think it'll take about three months. Have you sent all of your food resupplies in? Are you? So we've walked in a couple, and um, we've got one that's flown in with like a hut repair crew. Um, but then the oh. rest we've got two more that we're walking in on our way to the start, and then the rest we're dropping it. At- Um, heli companies on our way in and they're going in on back flights um, up to huts like Pioneer and up to Bevan Cole and um,
0: places like that yeah oh that's gonna be so exciting
1: yeah so right now it's like we're just sort of getting the last of last of the drops all together it's like quite a big thing being like how many snacks am I going to want for this 12 day (laughs) section after I've been walking for two months like I'm going to be pretty hungry at that point but also (laughs) this weighs a
0: lot (laughs) yeah you know what's hilarious is on our Alps Traverse we had such good weather, we had way too much food, none of us lost weight, and <laughs> we were just, people were trying to give away like one kilo blocks of cheese. Wow, <laughs> oh that sounds like the dream, the, <laughs> yeah. the dream problem to have. <laughs> it's a it's not a problem that you normally envisage, is it? No, because I've been mean, talking to like
1: um, Lydia and Ellen and Alexi, who did a, full traverse of the Alps a couple of years ago and it was like they're like yeah you know this was the first day in like in like 30 days that it wasn't raining and like you're like oh (laughs) I hope we get better weather than that
0: (laughs) yeah totally oh that's super exciting I guess that links into I'm kind of keen to chat about the FMC a little bit Because what they do is so awesome, especially for getting young people out onto these longer trips. Absolutely. Have you had a bit of background with the FMC?
1: Yeah, so when I first did that tramp of the South Island, I had a uh, FMC Youth Expedition Scholarship. And we've been lucky enough to receive another one for our traverse as well. Um, So they've definitely been a big part of enabling me um, to get out there. But it's also been really cool um seeing them sort of especially in this past year advocate um for access to places that are important to me as well. so seeing them you know get bridges into the olivines put back in that had you know been washed out and there w- weren't plans to get them put back in by dock um because they just weren't you know they weren't main bridges as such and seeing the f m c be like actually no these are really special places and we want access to them. And so that's been really cool, being like, oh, wow, their role is really important. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really at, at the heart of the community. It's not so much quantifiable by the number of people that go to these places, but the yeah. kind of deep culture and special connections.
1: Yeah, and like the spirit of um, exploration that they sort of support and encourage is, is something that we definitely don't want to lose. Um, and it's, so re- it's really cool that they're, they exist um, and a- active in New Zealand. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, awesome, I'm excited to. I know another girl who's got a grant through that this year, I think she's like 17. Oh, They've got a bunch cool. of 17 year olds doing a pretty cool tramping trip. Awesome. It's so awesome seeing the stories that come out and then seeing yeah. how those stories snowball and inspire other people as well. Definitely, yeah. And I, I
1: like that they support all sorts of journeys as well that are going out and people who are quite new to it, um, like myself back you know, when I got a grant for that walk, it was like a big enabler um, for me to go out, even though what I was doing, you know, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't as complicated as a lot of the other trips that were getting supported, but they still were like, oh, no, this is, this is important, you know, for, for that person. It's a really significant thing and will be an important foundation and
0: Definitely. it's cool that they
1: recognise that.
0: Yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. some other things, it's like you need to already have achievements behind you or it needs to be a more goal-orientated trip yes and it's
1: hard because it's like how do you get to that point if you're sort of getting into it and so it's cool that they're helping people right from the start yeah
0: yeah do you in terms of your own motivation to be outside do you are you motivated by things that are first like first ascents or journeys or is it just being out there what what drives Ooh, you personally i
1: think i think there definitely is something that, that excites me about sort of unknown places um that was something that was quite cool about that olivine's trip that we did earlier in the year was like you know you you can get a little bit of information but you've just got to go and see what happens and use your sort of all of your skills together when you're there to be like oh wow there's a there's a lake in front of us that didn't there used to be a glacier that we were planning on crossing but now you know there's a huge lake here we've got to solve this problem like uh, which route are we going to take things like that I think I find are quite exciting and something that might be in the form of doing a new route on something or it might be um just you know going to really remote areas and doing a transalpine route through somewhere or trying to do something fast and see if you can accomplish it in that time I think that that aspect of it is quite exciting for me yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it would be interesting. I'm quite fascinated by how people's motivation changes as they get older. Yeah. And if it changes, like for some people it doesn't and they stay driven by the same things. But for most yeah. people, there's this like natural shift to other things.
1: Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. Like when I was doing the TA, a lot of people were like, oh, does this make you want to go and do like the PCT or other long trails? And it was like, oh, no, it's made me want realise how much going off the trail um, motivates me and excites me, you know, I want to get to more remote places, so that, mm. that was quite cool. That's sort of fascinating, that.
0: yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with that, you know, the culture of through hiking is very new to New Zealand, but it has already changed our outdoor scene quite a lot, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, because a lot of Kiwis are now doing that, Yeah, to see what they do afterwards and what doors it opens for them.
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure.
0: Yeah. What other What other stuff are you excited to chat about? Oh, 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 man! It would be sweet to hear a tiny bit more about some trips that are really memorable for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like not necessarily a crazy trip or a really hard one, but do you have any trips that really, you know? spring to mind that are just really, a really special place that always sticks with you?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I think Aspiring is like, was a really cool trip for me, it was like um, a really big, it was like a really big cluster when we did it, we had 10 people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, that sounds like a nightmare
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember like as we left the car park like one of the people was like alright if anyone has to stop and tie their shoelaces you know we're leaving them behind you know we can't <laughs> stop for one person um, but that I think that was a one of those sort of trips where um, yeah just a strong sense of like exploring together and that a lot of these sort of peaks that are made out as sort of really full on, difficult, not accessible to people without a guide, sort of thing. I think it was cool to be like, oh, okay, actually like you can you can work on your skills for, you know, for a couple of years or however long you can dedicate in time and go and do these peaks yourself. I think that was kind of quite cool because then from there I was like, alright, like wow, I you know, I climbed aspiring, that's like a really big deal. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have a guide and I hadn't done a huge amount of courses or things, but I'd just gone out and put in the time to make that happen. And so that was quite exciting for me, I think, because then I was like, okay, well, I have these other peaks I want to climb. Mm-hmm. So I, I can, or I want to traverse the South Island. So it was like, oh, okay, I just need to go and put the
0: time in. I think that was kind of yeah, quite
1: cool. It's um, sweet. It
0: totally reframes what you think you can do in your own mind, which is often the biggest barrier for people.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it was cool for me because, like, I, I'm not a fast person. I, I especially notice this with running. Like, I, I'll never be a fast runner, but I can keep going, like, forever. And so it was quite cool, I think, discovering, getting into, like, climbing and transalpine and tramping and being like, wow, like, this is, this is my thing, you know? Because it's not a game of, even with fast packing, which you think is fast, it's not, it's, just, it's ultimately about just keeping on going. And so that was quite cool to be like, oh, I don't have to be the fastest, but I'll still get there at the end of the day, you know, positive and, and whatnot. And that was quite cool. Um, and I think it also the whole thing of getting into the outdoors is also just really awesome for young people's self-esteem. I think for myself, it was like a big thing being like, wow, like coming out of high school with maybe not a great like body image Sort of thing and being like, well, if my body can do all these incredible things that I, you know, it's enabling me to do these things I love. You can't really hate on that, hate on your body anymore. Um, and so I think, I think having having it as a bigger part of, um, well, I know I want my it to be a bigger part of my kids growing up because I think it's just such a great way to encourage positive body image
0: and good self esteem and totally. Oh that's interesting you say that because I've actually been planning an episode specifically around body image. Oh ah, yeah. And was wanting to talk to a couple of people. It's not really yeah. talked about that much in the industry which is interesting because I know it's yeah. quite big especially for young women. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Because I think there's like there's this expectation with a lot of um like people who are really sporty but are in more like you know, the the team sports or things that you sort of grow up with, you know, the people on netball or runners or stuff like that, there's kind of like quite strong expectations about what body type might look like, especially for females. But with tramping and climbing and mountaineering, maybe with with sport climbing is, I guess, a bit of a stereotype, but it's interesting seeing with like mountaineering and, and more endurance stuff that like there's not really one body type that's that's you know like people of all sorts of body types are absolutely crushing it and that's really really exciting to see
0: yeah totally it's interesting I was I think it must also be because it's you know you have this really tangible kind of outcome in some ways it's like can you live and survive in this outdoor environment which is is totally unrelated to what you look like
1: yeah yeah I think just so much of it is like a mental thing it's like yeah, can are you? Can you be positive at the end of the day? What can your character withstand? You know, when the weather goes bad, and or you know, someone in your group is being grumpy, or someone gets hurt, or and I think that's that's ultimately like so much more important. Um, yeah. Than if are you the strongest, fittest, um, you know, most technically skilled person? I think attitude will triumph time and time again.
0: And the the sort of marketing and the. The media that you're exposed to, in the well, when you're actually outside, is is pretty much none. Hopefully, yep. it stays that way. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. really positive because you're not constantly, even subconsciously, comparing yourself to what you should look like. It's more just you enjoy. It's just the joy of being out there and being where you are.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's a big thing. Is like social media is kind of creeping into, um, like, this sort of scene a lot more. Like it can be a really awesome thing for people to be able to share like share what they're doing and um stuff like that, but I think it's definitely something I'm aware of is I don't want to be out there and feeling like
0: I have to share everything yeah like, I totally it's so interesting you say that, hey, it's like I've been thinking about that a lot lately, yeah, I've actually dropped um being an ambassador for an outdoor brand for that reason, just this yeah. thing of. You know, people think it can be so useful, but then even if it's this small thing on your shoulders, it actually changes the way that you interact with the outdoors and can make it feel more superficial. Yeah. yeah. Which people don't really think of, but it's a, it's a slow kind of slippery slope in some ways.
1: Yeah. I kind of like the idea of, like, sometimes I've been in a really beautiful place and be like, oh, I actually... I'm not going to take a photo of that because me being here and seeing it as it is, is like that's enough. I don't have to, or maybe I'll take a photo and not not share it, but like not, Yeah. yeah. But it's it just,
0: interesting, but it's humans, are sh- you know, we historically humans have always loved sharing things and telling stories. It's just yes. the way that it's done has changed. Yeah. Like, I've looked, you know, the videos that you've shared of your, you know, the mishmash of different trips, yeah. they're so cool. I watch them and it just gives me such happy memories from <laughs> especially my time adventuring when I was your age through the universities yeah. and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like making videos. It's funny, like, I say all this stuff about, like oh, you know it's a <laughs> thing but then I also do really enjoy making these videos about stuff I find for me um, it's a bit, it takes me back at, um, in a more immersive way than a photo does I think because I like you know will hear the someone's laughter or the wind or things like that mm-hmm. and it's also cool because I feel like I can tell a story with it well that's something I'm trying to work on doing is telling a story through the videos whereas I don't have the photography skills
0: to tell a story through my photos um, yeah it's almost like when you have these experiences you want the people that you love to understand them and I'm more thinking the people that aren't your direct companions on the trips yeah so in some ways the videos and photos as a way to connect more with other people in your life yeah
1: Yeah. I think the sharing and the connection like that there's there's not a problem with that I think it's I think it's the fact that like likes and things have sort of crept their way into all of it. I think that's the part of it that gives me a bit of a, like, a gurry reaction is when it stops being this, like, look at this awesome thing I want to share my joy to, like, this sort of weird approval feedback sort
0: Definitely. of loop. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Which is scientific and kind of, we're
1: turning into robots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons that our um, the four of us going on this traverse decided to make a blog Um, Because we're like, we want to share our stories somewhere. We don't want there to be this, these likes associated with it. So we'll make something that's like, if you're interested, you'll read it, but most people probably won't. But that's okay. Because the people that, you know, we can
0: send it to the people who we want to share it with. Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, Something I've been pondering with that kind of thing, you know, and especially I've been thinking about the FMC and what they're going to need to advocate for in the future. Yeah. And I can't help but think that soon we'll have a time where there's internet literally everywhere and we're gonna have to fight for like digital quiet zones where you Yeah. You know, as a as a human you have the right to go somewhere where you can't actually connect to the internet. Yeah. Like imagine in Fjordland, in the middle of Fjordland, if you could get internet everywhere. Oh, that would be terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite interesting actually when I was on Anchor Island, they have
0: Wi Fi there. Oh, um, for the work site, yeah,
1: yeah, and I th- and also because like you're out there for like four weeks at a time. So for people who are like couples and things like that, it's you know keeping in contact. But I was like, ah, oh, this wasn't part of the package, so I just like kept my phone on airplane mode for the whole time and didn't connect. And it was nice because nobody else expected you to have Wi-Fi. So it was like I got back and no one was like, oh, you know, why couldn't I get get a hold of you? It was really nice to have that quiet time.
0: Yeah, but totally. there's definitely a
1: bit of like self control involved in that because you're like I could just
0: you know turn airplane mode off and then be connected again. But. <laughs> so much self control, man. I find in civilization I'm fully addicted, but I just I, when I'm out away from it, I definitely don't miss it. I love it. Yeah, totally. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Something I look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Some random questions. Okay, about hats then. Yeah. Do you have? What are a couple of your favorite huts?
1: Oh I really really like um, I really like Pioneer. it's a yeah. really special hut. I think probably because I've walked into it it's one that i I quite like and it's it's also got such special views. I think that's really cool. Um, I also really like some of the huts that I've like come across and conservation stuff just like little rickety yeah. strange looking huts in like random places in Fiordland but I don't know I think the fact that they're just so, it's so unlikely that there would be a hut in these locations but they've been here for 50 60 you know huge amounts of years yeah I think that's something that I find quite appealing sort of unlikely
0: unlikely huts yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you were to pick a hut the a hut that you'd be most likely to find a future partner in? To meet oh. someone, a romantic partner. What's the, the best hut that you could go to?
1: <laughs> oh, I reckon, I reckon going to a hut like Empress, because you're like, no yes. one can fly there.
0: <laughs> good filter.
1: <laughs> so you're like, someone who's here has got to really love the mountains and <laughs> be willing to like put up with a good slog.
0: To get there. Yeah. yeah. I've often thought that would make a good article in the Wilderness Magazine. It's like yeah. a quiz or, or the antics or something.
1: Yeah, What definitely. heart you should go
0: to based on the kind of partner you want to meet. Yeah,
1: maybe I should write an article for 2020 <laughs> Antics about this. It's yeah. a good idea. It's so, I've
0: thought about it a lot. You can ask me for some ideas. Yeah, awesome. Wow, you
1: well? Wow antics welcome submissions from from people outside the club so yeah you know me and a
0: friend from the Canterbury University Tramping Club used to have that as a backup plan we were like well if we're single and old one day we're just yeah. going to put advertisements up in some huts so yeah. we actually discussed what huts would be best and it was quite funny that's great uh, she's married with a few kids now so she never needed it yeah. <laughs> oh man yep but I think that's, I've pretty much is there anything else that you're excited to yarn about? Um we never talked about like women in the climbing community. Oh yeah.
1: Do you yeah. have any thoughts
0: on, on females and mountaineering in New Zealand? Well, I think I was I was quite lucky
1: that so when I went on that snowcraft course. Yeah. Um there was two instructors and one of them was a girl, a girl called Lottie, um, Lottie Armstrong, and it was. I think that was really cool for me to, like, right from the start to be like, oh, wow, there's, like, badass women out there. Like, when I first started getting into it, it didn't even cross my mind that there was, like, the, the woman in mountaineering was something special, like something different to, you know, guys in it. And then I started going on mountaineering trips, and I was like, oh, it's, like, you know, it's me and this number of guys, me and that number of guys. Like, I was always the only girl kind of thing for quite a while and I started to be like, oh okay, actually, it's not it's not as common as I thought. Or, um but i I always just keep coming back to this thing of like I, I'd seen Lottie not only out there like absolutely crushing it as a woman and a woman climber, but just like crushing it as a climber in general. And I think that I was like, okay, I don't have to. My goal shouldn't be to be a good woman climber. My goal can totally just be to be a a good climber (laughs) Um, and so I think I was really lucky to have a strong example like that Um, and so as a result of that I've I've tried to I've instructed a few snowcraft courses for the uni since and tried to be involved in in sort of formative snowcraft and other things like that because I want there I want for other people like myself that are getting into it to be like to see a to see a woman out there for it not to be for it to be a part of things from the start, because I think it is important.
0: It is so interesting, and you know, the research all shows that it's this idea that you have to see it to be it, and that that representation allows you, you, you know, you connect with people more, and you yeah. connect with the idea of what you could be or become.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, fascinating. It would, yeah. yeah. And it, it is such a thing that, like, I, I am really inspired, um, like, as, as I've got into more technical climbing, it's like seeing... I've seen other – I've met more incredible um, women that are out there just absolutely crushing it. Um, I mean, I'm just talking about the climbing because that's something that I do, but there's, you know, women in all aspects, like I don't know about rafting and stuff, but I definitely see that you're out there crushing it, doing all sorts of stuff. And, yeah, it is really cool, and I do definitely get inspired by it. And I think that whether it's a subconscious thing or not, it definitely does make me aim higher or, like, feel more empowered or that like I I can aim for that or yeah more than if I had just seen guys doing it yeah
0: yeah totally that's super cool did you sort did you meet Bea in the mountains I did
1: yeah Yeah. um, (laughs) she's lovely yeah at Pioneer I was up there with Bea and um, Petrushka and both of them were just like absolute crushes and they were also really really lovely at um you know Talking me through uh, what they were observing and avalanche conditions and things like that, which was I was doing I was learning some heavy stuff at the time for heavy level one, and it was I was just like wow yeah it was awesome and Bea was like she was like oh when, I think when we arrived at the hut she was like I'll be your mum at the hut for, <laughs> you know and I was like oh this is so lovely really really cool people that I've I've stayed in contact with since and I I hope to to either run into them in the hills again or climb with them future yeah
0: just live your dreams be wild and free there ain't no need to explain them to me you can run to the mountains or run to the sea I really loved hearing more about Maddie's adventures and her pathway in the tramping and mountaineering world I think the enthusiasm she has for being outdoors is super inspiring yeah, and also really contagious for people of all ages. I also think that her journey into the outdoors is a reminder of the incredible support network that we have in Aotearoa, specifically of all of our outdoor programs and clubs that help introduce young people to the outdoors. I think we can be especially proud of our university outdoor club scene, which has been going strong for several decades and yeah, has provided so many Kiwis with that introduction and the foundation that has enable them to go on and achieve great things in the outdoors or also just have that lifelong participation and love for being outside. I plan to catch up with Maddie and her friends again after the summer to hear a bit more about their big Southern Alps traverse trip. Hopefully we can hear a few more stories and details and you know transport you there a little bit. Make sure you tell your mates about the podcast. You can subscribe to Untamed Aotearoa on all the main podcast apps and yeah. Well, happy new year and we'll catch you next time.